0: Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Hi, Stacks listeners. Everything is okay. I am alive and well. I am just here today to share with you one of my absolute favorite podcasts. It's called Vibe Check, and it's hosted by Sam Sanders, Saeed Jones, and Zach Stafford. I have never, ever, ever in the five-year history of this podcast ever allowed another show to run in this feed. But I love Vibe Check so much, I felt like it was an obvious choice to share my favorite show with all of you. I know that if you like the stacks, you will love Vibe Check. Basically, the show is these three friends taking their group chat to the public airways. They talk about pop culture. They talk about politics. They talk about current events. They talk about how those things make them feel. And they talk about it in the most fun way. I promise you, if you listen to the show, you will never look at a Snickers bar the same way again. I am such a big fan of Saeed and Sam. I've had them both on this podcast. And Zach has an open invitation to join me whenever he wants because I'm a huge fan of his too. The episode you're about to hear is a recent episode they did where Sam, Zach, and Saeed talk about their modern scripture. Basically, these are recent texts that they revisit over and over and over to help them find comfort, clarity, something bigger in these crazy, crazy times. I found the episode so comforting, but also extremely generative as I tried to think about what are the texts that I revisit over and over and over. I struggled with this assignment, as you will hear, so did Saeed, so I feel happy to at least not be the only person who was flailing as I looked at my bookshelves of all of the things that I revisit. Though I think for me, Heavy certainly makes the list and also the first chapter of Sula. There's just something about the bottom that I cannot get out of my head and my heart. Anyways, without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce you to Sam Sanders, Zach Stafford, and Saeed Jones and their wonderful podcast, Vibe Check. The show comes out every Wednesday, just like the Stacks, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you want to listen, you want to subscribe, and go ahead, rate and review. And while you're at it, be sure to tell a friend about Vibecheck. That's what I'm doing here. You're my friend. Go listen to Vibe Check. Okay, I'll let the guys take it from here. Enjoy.
1: Hey my lady readers. You bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Said is so angry I today. Lipid. <laughs> We're going to explain why, but first, I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones.
2: And I'm Zach Stafford, and you're listening to Vibe Check, or the day that Sam's life ends, because (laughs) I is angry.
1: (laughs) So listeners, full disclosure, some of the episodes that you're going to hear in August have been pre-taped in advance because the team is taking some time off in August. So as we were thinking of episodes to run during that time that we could pre-tape, I said to the group, a thing I like to do I like to take certain readings and call them my modern scriptures. Things that I've read recently that I find myself constantly going back to because they speak to me in such a real way. So I said, what if for one of these August episodes, we had an episode all about our picks for modern scriptures? Two things we've read in the last few years that stick with us, that we go back to, that help us. Simple request, unless... You're asking a poet who reads everything. <laughs> in which case, it seems as if this has sent my dear friend Saeed Jones into an existential tailspin. Tell us how you're feeling right now.
3: Even as <laughs> Sam was rambling, I don't know what oh! he just said because I was using his as an opportunity to scoot my little sliding desk chair over to the side to go through a copy of a Sarah Shulman book. Look, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> I. First of all, if you ask me to number anything, if you were yeah. like, Said, was like your favorite three colors, like that always stresses me out. Yeah. Having to pick not my favorite books, not the best books, but like text yes. that have helped me make sense mm-hmm. of the last few years. Yeah. Do we know yeah. what the last few uh, years? Yes. <sighs> It's been very stressful. I've been running, literally running from bookcase to bookcase in my apartment. I, I'm, I'm I saw, surrounded I'm now by a pile of books. books. You're surrounded by books. Oh, also, <laughs> this is so emotional. I was like crying reading an Audrey Lorde essay, which oh, is probably no. going to be one of my pieces. But also like one of my first breakthrough moments as a student of, of literature was when I was able to have a vulnerable conversation with a professor in class about mm. the canon. And mm. I realized that I had such hurt and anger and antipathy because of how the canon mm. had informed my education up until that point and so when i was finally able to have someone i respected as an educator say no there's actually a lot going on like it's not just you there were many people who are frustrated by the politics of the canon what's your canon Saeed?" Mm. like that was such an illuminating moment as a student and a future Artist that I think now I'm like, what are the responsibilities? I've been asked to modern yeah. Yeah. scripture, it's too much. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> I want to one, express my deep and sincere regret. And you don't
3: have regrets. Both
1: fish. into a Too late stem, ever. <laughs> but I also want to reiterate That this is always a movable, moving target. Like today your scriptures are this, tomorrow they can Mm -hmm.
3: be that. We could record again in an hour. Literally.
1: And I say that because the thing that even got me on the idea of calling certain texts modern scriptures, it came from a profile of Melissa McCarthy. Of all places, hmm. right? So let like me explain her. how I got into this. As long as I've been a journalist, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for a really good celebrity profile. And for years, my favorite celebrity profiler has been Taffy Brodesser Akner. She perhaps most famously profiled Gwyneth Paltrow for the New York Times a few years ago. This is the interview where her ex, Chris Martin, shows up halfway through the interview to hang with her and her new husband. And she sneaks a cigarette outside, half through the fucking press thing. It's, it's just fun, light, good energy. Taffy wrote that. And a Taffy profile of Melissa McCarthy from 2018 stuck with me so much that I would find myself going back to read the profile again when I'd have a bad day. Mm-hmm. And during the pandemic, I would revisit that profile like once a month. It is just a pretty straightforward profile of Melissa McCarthy, the movie star, but it talks about the philosophy of her work and the philosophy of her life, which is that she's there to be helpful and to try to have fun. And she's there to help you kind of have a good time and don't take this shit too seriously. And there's this metaphor of her flying like a starfish in the sky throughout that wraps up really beautifully at the end. The profile starts with Melissa McCarthy in one of those indoor skydiving rooms. Taffy uses this as a metaphor to the way Melissa McCarthy lives her career and lives her life. She's flying and she's above it and she's having a good time. And so I would find myself rereading that profile whenever I wanted to feel that way myself. Mm -hmm. And eventually I started calling this Melissa McCarthy profile in the New York Times magazine a modern scripture in the same way that my mother and my aunties would go back to Bible verses Mm -hmm. for encouragement frequently I was going back to this magazine profile frequently and I've just played with that idea ever since then and I love the idea of modern scriptures things you've read that stick with you and help you that you go back to a lot and so I wanted more than anything to hear my two sisters share some of theirs so I gotta say I'm excited to hear y'all's but I'm really sorry y'all spoiled with it.
3: I am. <laughs> the stress. I mean, it's nice. It's good stress.
2: Yeah, it's good. Okay. It also has been a like fun, I want to say act of self-care, but it's like this exercise of yeah. like going back in the past and mining things that really stood out to me. Like, it took me back to the artist Cy Twombly who painted all these pieces about peonies and I was a freshman in college I would go to the museum every Tuesday and look at them and I hadn't thought about that until you told us to do this and I was like, what are the things I kept going to and it kept bringing up all these memories. So I'm excited to hear what you all have picked, but mostly I'm interested in the stories of of why you picked them. And I think that's going to be really, yeah. really cool.
3: Yeah, it's there's so much. You are still um, flipping through books <laughs> as you talk right now. <laughs> because just as an example of like, I'm holding a copy of the poetry collection by Audrey and Rich, The Dream of a Common Language that I was pulling from my shelf because I think I was looking for Diving into the Wreck, one of mm-hmm. her more well-known poems. And then I pulled it and there's the receipt from the day I bought it, it turns out on my birthday, November 26, 2012, I went to McNally Jackson bookstore and bought this. But I'm like, oh, wow. Like uh-huh. on my birthday, I decided to go to the bookstore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, hmm. it's just for whatever your, the medium, it may not just be one, but whatever medium just is really, intertwined over the course of decades with your life with your sense of self it's not just about the books anymore it's about the Mm -hmm, memories mm -hmm. and where you were i'm like oh my gosh benelli jackson and you know all of that kind of stuff
1: yeah and like for me you know everyone has a song they go back to on a really shitty day Mm -hmm. it's like what if that idea can extend to things that we read things that we watch whatever like this idea of like pop culture as sustenance I love that, and this modern scriptures idea gets at that. Anywho, we're going to do it and talk about why and what they
3: mean to us.
2: Well, before we get into Saeed dragging Sam, I mean, our modern scriptures,
3: <laughs> I want to say... <laughs> no, it's, 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 life dragging life dragging, it's life dragging Saeed. Life dragging Saeed, Sam is the
2: fallout. Sam was the trigger know, you know. To,
3: the, to the fall.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, well, before we get into all of that, we <laughs> bang, just want to say... <laughs> God, <laughs> we just want to say, as always, thank you so much for the fan mail, for the messages, for the posts, all of it. We absolutely love hearing from all of you. So send us more notes at vibecheck@stitcher.com. At So with that, let's jump in, shall we?
1: All right. So here we go. What we're doing here is sharing to a piece modern scriptures, any kind of text that we've read in the last few years that means so much to us that we go back to it again and again.
3: Who wants to start? You go first, because that will give me just a few more minutes.
1: Okay. Oh All gosh. right. My first modern scripture is an essay that's only been out for a few months, but that I've already read four or five times since its release. It is called The in of Everything.
3: Oh, you've mentioned this. Hmm.
1: Yes. And it's an essay by Cory Doctorow. He's a tech thinker and he writes a lot about Commerce, capitalism, technology, internet, and how they all intertwine. But this essay basically presents a unifying theme of how all social media has worked since social media began. And he basically urges people who read this essay and people who use social internet to never see these social platforms as a service, but to always see them as a business. Mm. And the first graph of this essay reads the following, quote, here is how platforms die. First, they are good to their users. Then they abuse their users to make things better for their business customers. Finally, they abuse those business customers to claw back all the value for themselves. Then they die. I call this inshidification. And it is a seemingly inevitable consequence arising from the combination of the ease of changing how a platform allocates value combined with the nature of a two-sided market where a platform sits between buyers and sellers, holding each hostage to the other, raking off an ever larger share of the value that passes between them. I love this essay. Because whenever I think of what's gone on with Facebook, what's gone on with Twitter, what's going on with Instagram and threads and all of the way social media works and has helped us or hurt us, even talking about TikTok and YouTube, this theory helps explain things. It helps remind me that all of these things that we thought would change the world are actually just businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I go back and read it whenever I want to think that any of these platforms or these things online are more noble than they really are. Mm -hmm. They're companies who will eventually milk you dry. Keep that in mind. So I just recommend this essay to everyone who wants to kind of make some sense out of the last 15 plus years of social internet. This essay, it does that. And I go back to it a lot.
3: I love that too, because I think particularly as millennials, I think we are the generation Mm -hmm. that... You know, as someone born in 1985, at least, I can say, I remember life straight up before Mm -hmm. the internet was accessible. I remember my mom getting a cell phone and it was like carrying around a lunchbox, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, I remember getting my first email address. And then now, also in the present, we're living through all of this calamity and and earned cynicism. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like, yeah, it's helpful because I think we've had to reckon with like, the awe and, and naivete of technology. Oh, this is so cool. This, will change this is going to change everything for the better. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like you said, it, it is going to change everything, but it's yeah. rarely for the better. And most importantly, it's business. And it's, business. it's like yeah. so obvious, but it, it's been a yeah. journey to be reminded. I think, for us yeah. to
1: Because that. I remember the narrative around Facebook when it started. It was like, oh, this will heal the world. This will right. connect the world and fix right. everything. You know?
2: Mm-hmm. It's interesting that like, I haven't thought about this, which is weird because I used to work in a tech company and I think about the internet a lot, but we are of a generation that grew up in our adolescence in 1999 when we thought the internet was going to destroy the entire world. There was a whole big Y2K moment and we all were like, okay, it's going to be a big reset. And it didn't happen Mm -hmm. and we were kids. So we grew up, I do would argue that we did have a reset in our mind at that moment. And then it was us that fueled the growth of the internet because then we entered our teenage years and Facebook happened and Uber happened. All these companies happened, but they were literally grown off of our own childhood and our young adulthood. And so I think there is this moment in which you come to realize that these are just businesses extracting capital from you and using your emotions to build around you that you feel... I remember feeling really angry about it because I was like, I thought this was supposed to help mm-hmm. me. I thought this was supposed to save me. But at the end of the day, it was really about saving shareholders and making people yes. a lot, a lot of money.
1: You know, it's really hard to overstate the amount of trust people our age put in Facebook in those first few years of Facebook. Do you recall how all of us just put our address on Facebook? Our address.
2: And our phone numbers. And our phone numbers. Our phone Everything. Number. I
1: don't remember the address. Everything. It's why yeah. out there.
2: you used to yeah. be able to reverse search people's profiles with their phone numbers. So if you had someone's phone number, you could type it in and it would pull up the
3: profile. But
2: we put in all of our identifiable information into this machine that then used it to build one of the most aggressive advertising businesses in the world.
3: And I remember, and I don't think this is a coincidence. I think this was actually really slick marketing, frankly, on the part of Zuckerberg, the way in which when we all first got Facebook in fall of two thousand four, the smugness of needing mm-hmm. a college email address. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. The, the sense of 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 being privy to this new thing, and that I. But the only reason I was able to access it was because I was a college student. I remember feeling. You know, mm-hmm. like I look back yeah. on that and I Elitism don't like the way I feel. Because yeah. it was only certain
2: totally. certain colleges. Yeah. I mean, Facebook began with just the mm-hmm. IVs and then it spread. So it was yeah. like it immediately yeah. d- relying on a, a system of class. Took plots. a minute to get to that. Western Kentucky University. <laughs> there you
1: go. There you go. But yeah, this essay makes sense of so much that we've experienced as consumers the last 20 years. It talks in detail about Amazon as well, which follows mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. path. Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm feeling confused about the intersection of Internet and commerce and business, This essay is a good reread. It's Mm. funny
2: you bring up Amazon in the context of this conversation because Amazon began as a bookstore
1: about literal book scriptures. (laughs) And then it became what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my first one. It's very informative. My next one is just about feeling really good. It is a poem called Small Kindness. It's by Dinusha Lamares. I was going to just read a bunch of Saeed Jones poems for these scriptures because that's what they (laughs) are to me, but I'm not going to do that. It's
3: like you're just coming up with new ways to stress me out. (laughs) Which poem would he pick?
1: (laughs) I discovered this poem during the pandemic, and it gave me sustenance throughout that really rough time. And I still go back to it now when I'm feeling lonely. This poem was first published in September of 2019. It's called Small Kindnesses. And... I will just read it. I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs to let you by. Or how strangers still say bless you when someone sneezes. A leftover from the bubonic plague. Don't die, we are saying. And sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it, to smile at them and for them to smile back, for the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder, and for the driver in the red pickup truck to let us pass. We have so little of each other now, so far from tribe and fire, just these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together, when we say, here, have my seat. Go ahead, you first. I like your hat.
3: Mm. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy? Oh, I yeah. love
1: that. Beautiful. This poem got to me in deep pandemic lockdown when really all that we had to feel some sense of community were these small interactions when we like left our home for half an hour a day. Mm-hmm. So it was extremely fortifying during that season. But even now, when I'm just, like, itching for interaction or lonely, this poem reminds me that, like, even the smallest interactions, even with strangers, can be proof of kindness and proof of life and proof that, like, care exists in this world. I read this poem so much.
2: It's a really perfect thing to find in a moment of such deep isolation because I do remember in the beginning of the pandemic when New York went so quiet and no one, you literally couldn't touch people that you loved, Mm -hmm. that that's Mm -hmm. when it became so painful that the little small moments of a coffee shop. I remember a friend told me, I miss standing in line. And I was like, yes. I miss standing in oh, line. Wow. And I think to your point, we do, because of the busyness of life and the, f- the how fast it all moves, that we forget that it's in these small moments of like getting on an elevator with someone or getting off as they get on, that you have moments of intimacy and aliveness with each other. And that that's kind yeah. of what fuels you through the day. And that's what we really do want at the end of the day, is just to know that we're all here.
1: Yeah. Well, and like y'all know that I love the small talk with strangers and I do it even more since the pandemic. And this poem reminds me that like that is building community and that is showing love. And it's it's usually a good thing. Like this poem reminds me that it's okay to like say nice things to strangers and talk Mm -hmm.
3: to them. (laughs) Yeah. I like the image early on when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull their legs to let you by because it's kind of like like one of the pleasures and dignities of shared public life are these like unspoken acknowledgments mm-hmm. of our personhood, right? Mm-hmm. Like so you're you're walking down like a crowded airplane aisle and people aren't going, Hello, how are you? But but that they're moving, they're shifting yeah. because yeah. they know you're there. They understand. And they see maybe maybe yeah. it's practical. It is practical, yeah. but it's also like a, a simple acknowledgement.
1: An honor. You're saying your right. body and your personhood and your yes. space matters. Yes. You know? yeah. It feels good. And, and,
3: and you definitely, for example, and I think because all three of us are black, I think so much about the absence of those moments of acknowledgement, for example, mm-hmm. walking mm-hmm. down the sidewalk, the frequency with which white people will not do that they will they will mm. bump right on into you and like my, my friend Morgan Parker's is always like am I a ghost like yeah. what's going on you know yeah. because that's what we deserve and, and, and you yearn for it in its absence
1: yeah Yeah. Mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. poem I love that alright those are my two when we come back from the break more modern scriptures from my sisters we might let Saeed go last because he's probably still <laughs> thinking through them Saeed yes. <laughs> will go last <laughs> we'll be right back
0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
2: All right, friends, we are back and it's now my turn. Because Saeed Jones is Googling things, I think. <laughs> at the <laughs> he is finding new scriptures yeah. to to pull from.
3: It's saying everything. I just want to like shout out <laughs> Ren. Right. I'm like, "Strange Pilgrims," the short story collection by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. You know,
2: like. <laughs> small plug. Small plug. Uh huh. Well, the two I'm going to share today are two pieces that I would say I think about daily, and I came to them in college, so a little over ten years ago, and they just stay so current with me, and I think they're kind of evergreen. And I want to give them to you because they have a few lines that I, I literally talk about constantly. So. The first is a book that probably everyone has heard of. It's called The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. The book itself is an incredible feat. It was her first book. I think it came out in 1970. It is about a young girl named Pukula who is very much obsessed with whiteness and beauty and feeling beautiful. But it's also an incredible story about family, violence, a lot of things going on there. But the book, how it opens has always really struck me. You know, there's a really amazing, when you see the opening, there's some interesting ways of prose that Toni Morrison works with where she repeats the story over and over in different ways that she writes it. But that's not where I'm landing with this. Mm -hmm. Where I'm landing is right at the end of that section of the beginning Mm -hmm. where Toni gives us this line that I have literally used in newsrooms to try to get journalists to Mm -hmm. go out and do their jobs and us to be more Mm -hmm. calm in how we approach the world. And it's this line that says, there is really nothing more to say except why. But since why is difficult to handle, one must take refuge in how. And that Mm. for me has been whenever I'm dealing with anxiety, whenever I'm dealing with anything too big to handle, I always find myself Mm -hmm. taking refuge in how, because why is this like really big thing that I think Toni Morrison in her book reminds us is like something that God has dealt us, something that's bigger the universe has given us. Like why is not for us to really answer all the time, but we can take Mm -hmm refuge inside of the word how and use how to move us mm. through something and i would use it so much in like these terrible stories i was having to do at the beginning of my career around crime and death where i was like oh how why did this happen to this person why 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 and the how is how i began to navigate it all and i feel like it applies to so much just kind of taking when I you're that. when you're burdened just go to how with everything
3: yeah i yeah. love that line but one it's interesting because I, I hadn't really thought of it in the context of news but you're right that is that should be taught in journalism classes but also it was clearly very important to tony morrison herself because she uses that same narrative technique not just in bluest eye which is her first novel she also uses it in jazz mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. to say the what is on the first page if mm-hmm. not in the first paragraph of both novels she tells you what happens we know the tragedy and the violence that befalls Piccola, like in the first paragraph. And then she's like, but let's get into the how. And then Jazz, she's like, yeah, there's this murder. It was really crazy in the first paragraph. And then she's like, so the rest of the book will be about the the how, because the why is too difficult to handle. Yeah. Wow. Mm.
2: And it does feel like why becomes a blocker for us to access humanity. You know, I've been thinking a lot Mm. about that show last call on HBO that's getting a lot of good press these days, which is about, you know, a series of gay men in the 70s being murdered by a serial killer. But they don't really name the killer. They focus on the families that were impacted. So that would be like the how, who these men were, why were they in the closet? Why did they go to these bars? What were they finding there? And that's where you find like a sense of humanity for you to kind of hang a hat on instead of the like violent why, which what I learned through covering crime for so many years was that the why being obsessed with why turn people off immediately Like, why do black people uh. keep getting murdered by the police why like these big questions would be thrown out into the world but no one would ever sit with them sit with the people mm-hmm. and how you have to sit with these people and I think that's why Toni Morrison does that device is to be like yeah, yeah we could focus on you know the story of Blue Eye begins with knowing that a young girl has been raped and she is carrying the the child of her rapist which is her father but like that could just reduce her whole life in a second we should instead focus on how do we get there? How is she existing? Yeah. How is she finding joy or hope in all of that? And that's where you find humanity.
1: It's it's interesting. Like I hear you both talking about this, and like for me, this why versus how is like existential and like a why are we here on Earth mm-hmm. kind of sense for me. Oh, when yeah. you talk about it. Yeah, like so much of philosophy and religion is complicated with trying to figure out why we're here. Why are mm-hmm. here? Why are we here? What am I supposed to do? What is my purpose? Is there heaven? Is there hell? What is any of this? And that can make it really hard to live a life. Yeah. But the how can make it a lot easier. Yeah. Let me not be so concerned about why all of this is. But let me think about how I might live a life. How? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just thinking about it in like a life on earth sensibility. Here yeah. Talk about it.
2: I love it. it kind of that line that is like, to paraphrase it, is that, um, Not everyone who has life lives. It's kind of that idea Mm -hmm. that just because you're here doesn't mean that you're actually being here, that you're living. And that's something you have to choose to do every day and engage with. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's so interesting. I think so often humanity and I guess really like Thoughtfulness, like the attentiveness that that how demands. Like mm-hmm. to really like, no, 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 no. Set aside what you think you know and why you think. No, let's go through the step-by-step of how this happened or how you're living, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that requires, that requires a step-by-step attentiveness. It's very like shut up and do the work as opposed yes. to why, which yeah. allows you to go just kind of rush in with your judgment.
1: Yeah. How asks us to be present and to be active. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And we so often need that. Especially, you know, these the last few years of life in America have just felt off. We had four years of Trump, mm-hmm. and then three years of a global pandemic. You could sit in your house all day and just ask why. Yeah, how is saying get up, do something. Yeah. I like that. I don't know. Yeah. I like move, it. move. Okay. Well, I'm glad you like it. I'm so
3: glad, yeah. Sam, because
2: I
1: did this for you. I pulled that <laughs> <up> for you. <laughs> Y'all, I really want to at some point when we're in the same room together really? over drinks. I want to unpack. Where this existential angst over this episode is coming from? y'all oh, of the most is. well-read men I've ever met in my life. And this is the thing? <laughs> this you know, is the perfect we trap. like to be... There are things that <laughs> will stress yeah, me out. Yeah,
2: this there. was especially for Saeed. I knew this was a trap for Saeed. I was like, I can, I can uh, get there. Saeed may not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, what's all your right. second one, Zach? So my second one is a book. It is some queer theory I talk about it a lot. I
3: bought it because you mentioned it on a Mm -hmm. podcast episode. So I've read a bit.
2: I I bring it up a ton. I tell, I've like Mm -hmm. told painters about it and like a painter, a friend of mine has has painted some woods where men have sex because of this book. And it just has really, you know, the book does something to you when you read it and it's, um, A book called *Cruising Utopia* by Jose Esteban Munoz. Um, He is a queer scholar. He ran the Tisch School of Performing Arts at NYU, but passed away in I think 2012. But this is his last work, and it's really similar to Toni Morrison. He begins the book by telling you exactly what he's going to talk about, and I'm going to read a few lines from what he's talking about and exploring. And it's about queerness. And he writes, "Queerness is not yet here. Put another way, we are not yet queer." We may never touch queerness, but we can feel it as the warm illuminations of a horizon imbued with potentiality. Queerness is a longing that propels us onward, beyond romances of the negative and toiling in the present. Queerness is that thing that lets us feel that this world is not enough, that indeed something is missing. Queerness is essentially about the rejection of a here and now and an insistence on potentiality or concrete possibility for another world. And for me, Mm. I read this in undergrad when it came out, and it just shook me, because I think I was Mm -hmm. coming at it at a time where I thought being gay, being queer, was Mm -hmm. a concrete thing, was a finite thing, that you just get to, and then you're done. And what he writes about, and what he shows in his work, and he brings in Kevin Aviance, who is one of the samples in Beyoncé's Renaissance, famously, he uses his performance work as an artist to show that we can look at how queer people have lived to see how we ourselves can live in the future. And that queerness is never something that we ever hit forever, but it's always growing and changing. And the the specialness of queerness is that it's like a a star in the sky that you're always looking towards, but you're never gonna get there. But that's part of the journey of queerness is that every day you're waking up and finding new things. And, And you find new things by seeing how people around you move and breathe and live and have died. And so he finds himself in this tension of a past and future and says, kind of, fuck the present. We're always living in that kind of that tension of what was and what could be. And for me, that's been a queerness that I've really just found a lot of joy in because his book is very much focused on the philosopher Bloch's ideas around hope. So he it was the first yeah. scholar I re- read that's like being queer is hopeful. Like us surviving is hope every day. And the book really yeah. does a good job of talking about them.
1: And I feel like we need that, especially right now. You know, the last few years have just seen rising attacks through our nation's politics against queer people and against trans people. And in the midst of that, so much of the way queer people are forced to talk about ourselves is to prove that we were always here and directly address the harms to us currently, right? So, so much of the conversation around queerness in our current political context – is focused on the present and the past. Mm -hmm. And so to have this quote to remind us that queerness is also about the future, in fact, inherently about
3: the future, I think that's beautiful. And it's something that we need, especially right now. Yeah. Yeah this is what happens when you start reading Seeing Connections um, yeah. because a book that I'm reading right now that is not my my modern scripture but may well become one is Christina Sharp's In the Wake on Blackness and Being mm. and as you were reading Munoz and I don't you know this is an assumption but everything you just said quoting about queerness not being here being like a a point in the future it's not fixed echoes something she quotes from Maurice Blanchot in the book uh, Maurice Blanchot pu- published this in 1995 I'll just read a bit they write, quote, "...the disaster ruins everything all while leaving everything intact. When the mm. disaster comes upon us, it does not come. The disaster is its imminence. But since the future as we conceive of it, and the order of lived time belongs to the disaster, the disaster has always already withdrawn and dissuaded. There is no future for the disaster." They go on. Um, okay. So it's really interesting, the sense of queerness, which to me feels like hope, Hope for mm-hmm. expression, hope for self, hope for gender is like also like kind of on the polar opposite, perhaps, of of the disaster. And Christina Sharp argues that for Black people, like the wake is in the history of enslavement, like mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the disaster that's we're always kind of living around. So I just mm. love this concept of whether it's yeah. this concept of disaster or, or white supremacy or queerness that we have these ideas that it's less about when it's happening it's about like how it's always mm-hmm. happening kind of yeah. around us to take it back yeah. more. So.
2: No yeah I think that's so right And that reminds me of when I was talking to Jenna Bertham on that episode Jenna brought up blue space and was talking about seas and said to me you know we have to be careful here Zach you know not everyone wants to go into oceans because of what oceans have meant to us and I had never considered that in that way that you know we all move through spaces where certain histories of ours may come pressing up and rushing to the future and bring us to the past and like how do you deal with those tensions of living in two places Mm -hmm. at once so I think what Munoz gives us is like this power and being like yeah you're not fixed you were kind of existing all the time you bring your ancestors and you are creating the ancestors at the same time. And that that and that is a real beauty of being. And that should hopefully give you, because I think you know is hope for all of us as queer people is that we have power and we can make change because we're making change every day by existing into the future.
3: Mm. I love that.
2: All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Saeed Jones will conquer his anxiety and share with us his picks. Noah won't. <laughs> <laughs> so stay <laughs> tuned.
1: Stay tuned.
3: Can we get a drum roll, please? This is the moment we've been waiting for. We are back. Okay, so so that I can sleep at night. Cause this uh cause here's here's what happens. This is what stresses me out Ooh. is that as soon as we finish recording, I'm gonna close my computer and mm-hmm. and stand up and then like like lightning will strike me and I'll remember something. So <laughs> We can... <laughs> oh, we're gonna do another. It's gonna be seasonal. We're gonna do a modeling. <laughs> okay. okay. so, so to give myself some breathing room, I'm yes. just gonna have some... I'm gonna throw out some Some, some runner-ups. That I'm not gonna talk about. So runner-ups. <laughs> okay. um, uh, Strange Pilgrims. It's a short story collection by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. All of the stories are about people from the Latin diaspora. My favorite story in that collection is I Only Came to Use the Phone, a really good horror story. Mm. Um. Oh gosh, oh gosh. Okay, Crush Poetry Collection by Richard Sykin. I really, really wanted to read, but I'm excited to talk about the poem I want to talk about. But um, the poem Scheherazade opens the collection. I read this when I was a sophomore or junior in college and it changed my life. Richard Sykin's collection Crush If you like my poetry, this is the book where I was like, that's the temperature that I want in my Mm. own work. That's the Mm. heat I want, and so I had to acknowledge it. And then one more, oh my God, okay. Sarah Shulman's essay collection, Ties That Bind, Mm -hmm. Familia, Homophobia, Mm -hmm. and Its Consequences. I think this is a book everyone needs to read. And I just want to point out, because just the title of one of the chapters will have you shook, Basically, Mm. she argues that even if you don't experience direct violence from familial homophobia, like your family didn't straight up kick you out, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of us still deal with, like, kind of passive forms of homophobia. For example, she says, like, okay, fine. Your family doesn't use slurs when referring to you. But, like, when your straight brother and his fiance got married, your parents were so excited to pay for their mm-hmm. wedding. Mm-hmm. Did they have that same enthusiasm with you and your partner? Yeah. You know what I mean? That kind yeah. of thing. And so just one chapter title is homophobia is a pleasure system. And Ooh, she has wow. a chapter where she just explains, she's like, homophobia also just makes people feel good. And we need to yeah. talk about that. It's yeah. not people necessarily being scared. <laughs> yeah. Some people just like how it makes them feel. Sure. and yeah. Okay.
1: Also, <gasps> I got a shout out, since uh-huh. you mentioned Sarah Shulman. Can't say her name without saying, go read her book all about AIDS activism. It's called Let the Record Show. Ooh, baby. Wow, 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 wow. I interviewed her about this book a while back and loved that conversation, but the book is just phenomenal.
2: And I will say to add to this, and if you like these two books, you should also read Sarah Schulman, The Gentrification of Mine, Witness to a Lost Imagination. It's yes. amazing. Like she's just yes. amazing. She's incredible. So she's anyways, a girl. She's Sa- a Saeed go for i see the book you have in your hand i'm not surprised i'm proud i'm proud that you're leaning into your choices
1: <laughs> i'm just glad saeed's still with us and not like running down the streets
2: screaming.
3: just like burst the flame <laughs> yeah. and just jumped out of my window oh my gosh um so this this was easy because okay. because when i thought of the concept of modern scriptures which is to say and i thought of like my grandmother mildred who very much was someone she had her bible in her lap I mean, every day, every afternoon, it was always within reach. And so I was like, what would be a text that, if not literally, metaphorically, existentially, is always within reach? And it's Sister, Outsider, Essays and Speeches by Audre Lorde. Oh, this book. I, I think I first encountered it when I was a college student. So that's part of it for me, modern scripture. It, it's I wanted to at least have one book where I was like, I've lived... With this text Mm -hmm. i've grown up with this text the meaning has changed color as i have taken on new colors and this is certainly an example and gosh it was hard to choose a piece from the book (laughs) because it has this has like poetry is not a luxury it has the uses of anger Mm -hmm. it has the master's tools will not dismantle Mm -hmm. the master's house a lot Mm -hmm. of i would say her seminal ideas but The Transformation of Silence into Language and Action was a a speech, a paper, she gave at the MLA conference in 1977. She wrote this and delivered it after overcoming her first, I believe, cancer treatment. Uh, Mm. She'd been diagnosed and and she ultimately died of cancer. Like, it would leave, it would come back, it would leave and come back. But she wrote this after going through, I believe it was like something like, three really, really difficult weeks of of cancer treatment. And so I'll just read a few sections and try not to cry while reading it. (sighs) In becoming forcibly and essentially aware of my mortality and of what I wished and wanted for my life, however short it might be, priorities and omissions became strongly etched in a merciless light. Mm. And what I most regretted were my silences. Of what had I ever been afraid To question or to speak as I believed could have meant pain or death. But we all hurt in so many different ways all the time. And pain will either change or end. Death, on the other hand, is the final silence. And that might be coming quickly now without regard for whether I had ever spoken what needed to be said or had only betrayed myself into small silences while I planned someday to speak or waited for someone else's words. And I began to recognize a source of power within myself that comes from the knowledge that while it is most desirable not to be afraid, learning to put fear into a perspective gave me a great strain. Mm. And then I'll just read just one more little section. I was going to die, if not sooner than later, whether or not I had ever spoken myself. My silences had not protected me. Your silence will not protect you. It's just
2: beautiful. It's (laughs) beautiful. I'm so glad you picked that because that book. I think there's a lot of us in the world that are black and queer but that when you arrive to her it really is like a seismic shift and you realize like a lot of the pain and a lot of things you've been feeling people have been feeling for a while but also the fighting has been happening too and hearing you read her work is amazing because you are such a, a poet that Sam and I both love But we, we were even friends with you but she for me was that change in the canon that said that poetry mm. is a weapon too that it can be a thing mm. that really shows that power needs to be destroyed and challenge. And I feel like you yourself side fit in that like kind of that, that path that she blazed. Like you continue to move that forward. So I just love that you you shared that with us so much.
1: Well and just hearing the way you read it, I can hear the through line between that work and you. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. You know? It's beautiful.
3: Yeah, she's I mean, I, I think Audrey Lorde is a model for me, a personal model of someone who explicitly as she is doing in this work, connecting art, poetry, essay, speeches, to action. And she says, it's a journey to action. I like that she just she doesn't say, like, the expression or the poem or the speech is enough, but it's a part of the broader work. She even connects mm-hmm. dreams. She's kind of like, mm-hmm. dreams, thoughts, take us to the text and what we express, mm-hmm. and what, what we express takes us to action. And I just think... Yeah, I think in encountering a beginning in high school and then into college and as a young writer, it was just so important because it's not just about the craft, it's also about the mission. And I think Mm -hmm. I was kind of when I was going back to like when I was talking about the canon, I think this is why she's so important to my canon because it was like, I was so tired of reading well-crafted work by predominantly straight white men whose mission was at best vacuous but mm. often straight up violent you know mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. if the work the craft was beautiful and, and yeah she changed that for me yeah mm. i love it what's your second one oh my gosh okay okay we can do this site we can do while this. you
1: pull it up i have to ask how many finalists were there if you had to guess
3: <laughs> i think i have I think I have 12 books on my desk. Right oh my <laughs> I've goodness. I think I've kind of, you know, been able to, okay. Shout out to Terrence Hayes. Uh, <laughs> I love, this. I, love this. I see elite capture over there. Okay. Okay. I love this because it's a poem. It's a very short poem. And mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to honor like how special a short poem is because poetry already kind of I would argue exists outside of capitalism. It's very hard to Ooh. make a profit yeah. out of poetry, and that's why I think yeah. it's a very special craft. But then the short poems are like even harder, right, to sell mm-hmm. because it's like what do we get out of this? And and what you get out of it is the transformation of silence into language, uh, as Audre Lorde said. So this poem is titled "Smoky." It's from a book entitled Imperial Liquors by Ahmad Jamal Johnson. Ahmad Jamal Johnson, I believe, is from Southern California, from Watts, and then, like, writes a lot mm-hmm. about that space. But here's the poem, "Smoky." Mm. The most dangerous men in my neighborhood only listened to love songs. To reach those notes, a musicologist told me, a man essentially cuts his own throat. Some nights... Even now, I'll hear a falsetto and think I should run. Wow. It's, <laughs> wow. it's such a short, startling poem. It's only, I Woo. think, three sentences. Oh, my God. But so much happens. <laughs> yeah. So much I happens. Know. And... So, one, I love that, right? Like, it's a demonstration of the power of the line and of brevity. This could have Mm -hmm. been a whole personal essay. Frankly, Mm -hmm. it could have been a memoir, you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. so much happens. But also, this idea, in the last year in particular, thinking of people weaponizing parental rights or cisgender people weaponizing the concept of womanhood, like this kind of gender essentialism against trans women, Mm. seemingly out of genuine concern mm-hmm. out of love, but mm-hmm. what they're doing is very violent. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? I've mm-hmm. been trying to like make sense of that because I I know how to deal with like loud, clear and present dangers. I think so yeah. many of us in our country, for example, we're like, it's not racism until someone's burning a cross on your front uh, lawn. Yeah. And it's like, that's usually not how it's gonna manifest in your life. What if mm-hmm. danger comes with someone listening to love music? What if it wow. comes wrapped in, in love or concern or, oh, I'm just worried about the kids. or You know what I mean? Concern trolling, yeah. Concern Mm -hmm. trolling. And so it's, though that poem obviously isn't about those politics, I think it's a good example of how, like, for me, a scripture is like, take me back to the kind of the spiritual core of this dynamic. And that's what it is. Dangerous men being the ones who love music the most. I can't help
1: but hear you read this poem and think about a conversation that listeners hearing this have heard a few weeks ago, our talk about Barbie, uh-huh. and who is the man with the beautiful yet threatening falsetto, if not
3: Ken, played by right. Ryan Gosling yeah, right. in the movie? Yeah. yeah. And he's like really the clown, right? I, yes. mean, I mean and, and that's why Ryan Gosling's performance is so good. It's really hard to take Ken seriously. But then what Ken does in the movie is, is very overthrow yes. the government. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like to yeah. the point of like literally the Constitution, yes. which is really scary. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's this reminder that many <laughs> times the things that we love most about heteronormative
3: mm.
1: manness hide the danger <laughs> or make the yes. danger look sweet. Anywho, D, love this poem. D, D, yeah. D, D, D. Oh, okay, good. good. You did it. <laughs> We're so proud of you. You did it. Listen, you made it. <laughs> you made it none of the books were burned in the process so they, they
3: were never going to be burned <laughs> how dare you I am now like so that's the issue is my my predicament is I'm, I'm always pulling books and then I, I kind of piled them up either on yeah. my desk or in the living room on the coffee table so that I can grab them as I'm kind of working through specific ideas and, and then all the books get out of order and then I can't find them so I'm going to need to like yeah. reorder my books you seen the way
1: that y'all deal with keep and organize your books I feel so bad so for years since I've been podcasting publishing houses just send me books to read all the time mm-hmm. and yeah. I'll read a lot of them but I won't read a lot of them and I'm always mm-hmm. trying to just like get rid of the extras so my house is not full of books mm-hmm. but over time my strategy just was like well once you read a book if you like it a lot don't keep it give it to someone who you want to read it and so I never have a bunch of books in my house and I'm like should I change that I'm always giving them away but now I'm like Y'all keep books, that's cool. Maybe I <laughs> yeah. should keep all the books in my goddamn I mean, house.
3: It, it's, you know, look, I, I have so many thoughts on this because first of all, books are heavy. So like heavy. I, as someone who Thank loves you. books, yeah. I do have to be very thoughtful about the books I keep because when it comes time to move, oh boy what it's a doing? whole What's the only doing? thing probably more stressful would be like keeping vinyl albums which i know you do yeah um, the one thing i would tell people is when you buy a book i always regret when i don't do this but when you buy a book like i'm looking at this copy of strange pilgrims saeed jones september 2008 brooklyn book festival with my friend huh. brandon mazer like write a. right if, not, if cool. you don't keep the receipt at the front write the date stamp or something mm. i just I think like that's something that years later like gosh 2008 um Triggers it's a, a real joy mm-hmm. oh, i love that yeah, okay that's my one Good thing. to
2: know when i moved in with craig he was going through my books he's like you have so much stuff in all your books and it's because i do similar where i put things <laughs> yeah. if i like get at a book fair on a trip i put mm-hmm. something from the trip in the that's book so it becomes cool. you know multifaceted a around a memory so yeah, yeah.
1: i love
3: that well I- i'm literally breathing easier now listeners we did it all three of us shared our modern scriptures. What are yours? Share them with us at vibecheck at stitcher.com. I feel like we're gonna create an entire like podcast syllabus at some point. I love, point. It. I I love, love, that. love it. A reading list. <laughs> this was really fun.
1: Listeners, thank you for checking out this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, make sure to not just follow this show on your favorite podcast listening platform, but also tell a friend. Literally tell them to their face to check out this show. Maybe even after you do that,
3: read them a poem. That's fun, too. That's really cute. Huge thank you to our producers, Chantel Holder, engineers Sam Keeper and Brendan Burns, and Marcus Holm for our theme music and sound design. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production.
2: And as always, we want to hear from you, so don't forget, you can email us at vibecheck@stitcher.com and keep in touch with us on Instagram and threads, Twitter, if you're nasty. These are our handles for all of those places, at Zach Staff, at The Ferocity, and at Sam Sanders. And you can use the hashtag vibecheckpod wherever you can use a hashtag. And with that, stay tuned for another episode next week. We'll see you then. Read. Read a Bye. lot. Bye.
1: Ditcher.